I was getting groceries at Publix and I was walking back to my car and I someone rang on my phone. I did not know who it was and I almost didn't answer it. I was like, I'm not going to answer this. But I answered it and it was a NASA person saying, hey, you applied to this position. Here's If you're still interested, here's the interview date. I was like, oh my gosh, okay. Welcome to the Early Career Moves podcast, the show that highlights remarkable BIPOC young professionals killing it on their career journeys. I'm your host, Priscilla Esquivel-Bolcha, Latinx career coach, corporate consultant, daughter of immigrants, and lover of breakfast tacos. Meet me for a coffee chat every Friday as we either dive into a special guest story or I'll share my own career gems. If you're a BIPOC professional feeling lost in your career or just need a dose of inspiration, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey, y'all. Welcome to episode 41 of the podcast. Today, we get to hear from an amazing Latina aerospace engineer working at NASA, Joan Melendez Meisner. Joan, on this episode, breaks down what her journey has been like to become an aerospace engineer. She had to overcome 13 job rejections from NASA. 13. Like, I I don't even think I would have gone past the second or third rejection. I probably would have said it is what it is. NASA doesn't want me. But, you know, Joan's story is really special in that she she teaches that we have to persevere for the things that we really, really want. Joan uh, has a bachelor's in chemical engineering and chemistry. She has a master's of science in systems engineering. She's very active on TikTok and Instagram. Her handle is Your Female Engineer. And she's really passionate about breaking down the misconceptions that people have about what it takes to be able to work at a place like NASA, break into the space industry, and especially as a woman of color and STEM. Can't wait to hear what you think of this episode. Hey, before we head into today's episode, I want to encourage you to follow us on Instagram at ECM Podcast. Also head over to ecmpodcast.com where you can get freebies, read the latest ECM blog post, and sign up for our monthly newsletter. And if you or someone you know is looking for one-on-one career coaching, you can sign up to work with me on my website. Lastly, if you're a big fan and supporter of the show, please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's how we can reach other people. Okay, let's head into the show. So today, I'm so excited to have Joan Melendez Meisner on the show. Welcome, Joan. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to hear about your early career journey, what's led you to now be working at NASA in Florida. That's super cool. I personally have never met anyone who works at NASA. So I'm excited to hear you break down what it's like to be a a woman, an engineer, and a woman of color, Puerto Rican descent in this space. So why don't we start with just having you share a little bit about your personal background, tell us how you grew up, and just what we should know about you. Sure. I'm a military brat. So my father was in the army and I moved around a lot, not to really cool places. It was all over the United States. My family is from Puerto Rico, but I was the only one that was born in Panama. I grew up in a very traditional Spanish household. Spanish was actually my first language. English was my second. I started speaking English a lot more because going to military schools, it was only English speaking. So that's how I learned English. And now I feel like my English is a little bit stronger than my Spanish. But yeah, we grew up in Puerto Rico and Chicago. Chicago, like all over the place. And we kind of settled in Orlando, Florida. And that is where I'm currently residing now. And that's where my love for space just skyrocketed. 
pun intended. <laughs> we had the Space Coast right next to us. So it was really nice to be able to see the space shuttle because I grew up in the 90s and just so interested in space. But when I was going into you know high school and then eventually college, I never really thought of an engineer as a career path because watching movies like Apollo 13 and other space movies, you would see these engineers in the movies, but it would be just like a specific type. So it'd be just like a male, well, white male in the room. And you never really saw a lot of female or pe- or women of color representation as the engineers. So that's why I never really thought of a career path down that way. I actually wanted to be a doctor. And when I got into college, I was able to volunteer at a hospital. I saw immediately blood and needles in the emergency room and literally passed out. So that's when I was just like, okay, I can't, I can't (laughs) go down this path. So I had a lot of really good mentors when I was in college, specifically my guidance counselor. She was just like, Hey, you have all of this like science and math and you're really good at it. Have you ever thought of a degree in this, the STEM field, the science, technology, engineering, and math? And that's when I started talking to her about it. I really don't see a lot of women in there. And she warned me. She's like, yes, it's a very male-dominated career, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you will not succeed. And she helped me get an internship with Naval Air Systems Command, which is a subset of the Department of Defense, specifically working for Navy planes. And from there on out, I just fell in love with engineering because you get to work with your hands, you get to problem solve. And going back to my childhood, I kind of remembered being a geek back then. I would always ask for like microscopes and telescopes when I was a little kid, instead of just like the typical like Barbie and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And all of that just came and it was like an epiphany, like, oh my gosh, like I was in that path when I was young and I didn't even realize it. And so yeah, from there I worked in aviation and just fell in love with engineering. Yeah. And so I know you went to University of Maryland um, for college. How did you end up going there? And was that a big transition for you moving there? So my husband is an engineer and he is a year older than me and he got a job at Patuxent River Air Base, and that is in Maryland. So that's why I transferred over to Maryland and finished there. And that is how I met that guidance counselor. That's how I got into NAVAIR because actually he was working at NAVAIR at the time too. And so when my guidance counselor said this company, I was like, oh yeah, I, I know that company. And it was really, just really nice for me because living in that area, I, I love the DC area. I love something other than the heat coming from Florida and like all the other tropical places that I live. So it was just really nice change of pace and being able to be an intern. And so I was actually a Pathways intern when I was finishing college. And that allowed me to not only have a guaranteed job when I finished college, but they also paid for my last two years of college and my books. Oh wow! So I kind of just got like a scholarship being able to, I proved myself. I started as an intern and then they just offered me this pathways program. And I think it's absolutely fantastic that people should get to know the department of defense pathways because they give a lot of good scholarship, a lot of good money. And also you have a guaranteed job. So when I was finishing college, I didn't have to scramble and look around and start applying for jobs because I was just already hired essentially after I got my degree. Yeah. So tell us a little more about that. So Pathways, is that a program through the Department of Defense? Correct. Yeah. You don't have to be in the military or be associated with the military. Anybody can apply in college. And it's really neat because while you're an intern, you get to intern in several places. I stuck with NAVAIR just because I love aviation. I love being able to work on fighter jets. But other people work in the Department of Energy. They work on, I, th- I believe I almost got an internship actually with the FBI. I went through like, I went through everything. I went through like the lie detector wow. and, and all wow. that stuff. And I got the job. But the reason I didn't go for it is because it was an unpaid internship. And I was like, uh, 
I'll just stick with aviation. There's just so many different departments in the government that you can rotate to. And they also pay you to, they pay you as an internship other than the FBI. And then they also pay for your school. Yeah. So what was your day-to-day life working for Navair? Were you out in the fields a lot, like working on actual planes or was it more of a corporate office job? What was that like? So the cool thing about Navair is it's all of it combined. I actually started off since my degree and my background is in the chemistry, chemical engineering round. I started in the lab. So I was qualifying biofuels for the Navy. At the time, the Navy was really looking to go into like being more energy efficient and more green. And so they had a goal that by like 2015, we should be using 50% of our fuel should be made from alternative fuels. So corn or other than petroleum. So my role was to qualify these fuels from all over the world. These companies had these different kind of alternative fuels and we would qualify them for operations on the plane or even on the ship. So we were able to do both sides. It was really cool. But at the same time, it also sparked my interest to work specifically on the hardware, like on the actual jet. And at the time, the chemistry chemical side, you were mainly in the lab and it was fine for me for about a year or so. Um, But then I started being more curious and I started asking about what the roles who actually got to go out and work on the planes itself. It was very mechanical and aerospace engineering background. So so that's when I started talking to a lot more mentors and I was able to get the opportunity to shadow a fuel system engineer. And so what they did is they worked on the the fuel tanks on the planes or the helicopters. And after about six months of shadowing, and I did this on my own time because I feel like it's really important to note that if you want to, if there's a role that you see at your job, always seek to learn more about it, whether it's through your mentor, ask someone who's in that role, ask if you can shadow them, ask if you can work on projects because it's showing your interest and it can help you either get into that role or something close to it. So for me, I was able to transition to that role after about six months because they just saw how interested I was. And that role I got to work on um, like directly with the plane. So the F-18 fighter jet is my baby. <laughs> I uh, worked on that plane for so long. I worked on their engines, on their fuel system. I got to do so many cool things. So my day-to-day just kind of varied. Sometimes I would have engineering investment So if there's an engine that would flame out, we would obviously need to research and see what's wrong with that engine because we wouldn't want our sailors that are overseas to be flying in these jets and then something go wrong. So as an engineer, we're always there to make sure that everything is up to par. And so it allowed me to travel all over the world. I was able to go to Japan for about two weeks because there's a couple bases out there and I was essentially the subject matter expert and I was investigating these engines. So I was out on the field a lot and then it was just really cool. And then Navier also also obviously has the corporate side where it's like more business office and you can rotate to those positions as well. So honestly, like it gives you such a good spectrum from day to day, like starting hands-on stuff, or if you want more something like a corporate life working in an office, you can do that too. Wow. So I know you were there a long time, right? Eight years in total? Correct. So during that time, when you reflect and look back, what were the most challenging aspects of that time as you were growing into your role, uh, maybe as a woman or as a woman of color? What are the challenges that kind of come to mind? So a, a few. One of the things that I try to speak to on my social media and just in general is 
degrees don't really measure the kind of person or the worker that you're going to become. So I had times where I wanted to go into a different role, like a more mechanical and aerospace role. And I had managers look at me and say, you don't have the degree. And that happened to me once um, when I was moving back to Jacksonville. So Navier has different locations and I was moving back to Florida and I was trying to transition there. And I had the manager just say, sorry, you don't have the degree. Even though I had an engineering degree, it just wasn't the one that they were looking for. So I had to prove myself. I think I, I kept I kept at it. I kept at it. And then he fi- finally just transferred me and, and hired me. And I just felt like I had to prove myself even more just because I didn't have that aeromechanical background. But to me, you know, and anybody else, when you start a job, your background, yes, you have that engineering background, but it's not necessarily going to teach you how to work on an F-18 or how to do engineering mm-hmm. e- investigations. That's more like on the job training. So that's why it kind of took me a little bit aback. And then finally, when I moved over to the space sector, that manager was like, I wish I would have hired you sooner. Is That's the exact same thing that he told me. Because he first, he just regretted it because again, a degree gets you through the door. But once you're in the job, to me, you have that like problem solving background. As long as you have that dedication and motivation to learn something new, which I did at the time and I still do, it shouldn't hinder you from going into different roles. So that was one of the challenging things that I had. Another one was being one of the only women in the room. I was a lead engineer on a project and just doing one example. I, we were all meeting for the first time. There was like contractors all over the place. I was the lead engineer on this project. It was the first time that we were all going to meet because it was a brand new project. So I walked into the room and someone, a, a male coworker, again, I have never met anybody, but it was just a, a male engineer, comes up to me and specifically asks me, hey, can you take notes during this meeting? And I looked around. And I was like, I'm the only female in the room. Why are you asking me if I should be the one taking notes? And that's something that we have to deal with on a day to day as a being a woman in a very male dominated field. And so I was taken aback a little bit. But instead of just yelling and all that stuff, what I like to do is I'd like to take things calm. So I kind of looked at the person and I was like, sorry, I'm, I'm going to be busy. And so after that, I walked to the very front of the room and I introduced myself as the lead engineer on the project. <laughs> and I just remember, I didn't look at him directly, but I can feel just like the amount of embarrassment <laughs> on this person's face. And so as a female engineer, like I said, in a very male-dominated career, I try to talk about all of these microaggressions. They may not be m- intentional sometimes, but they are something that we have to change in the mindset in a very male-dominated career. And that's why we need more women in these fields. So it could just be a little bit more. So those microaggressions, even though they're intentional or not, can disappear because why should the only female in the room be the one taking the notes? It should be something that everybody should be doing, not specifically a gender specific role. I love that. I think that, yeah, those microaggressions are so rampant in the male dominated industries like finance or investment banking, engineering. And it always falls on women, people of color to have to manage all of that. And it might seem, oh, it's just like one comment, but when it happens repeatedly over years, it's just, it can become so burdensome. Right, absolutely. And and you know, that's what I love about the community that we built on social media, this like women in STEM community because a lot of my really good friends, I have never met in person. Mm-hmm. Like I have just started following them this past year during the pandemic and I just 
I feel like they I've known them for yeah. years because the community is so tight. And not only do we need that, but there's so many um, men in this community. As you know, there there are male allies. They're the ones who, if they were in the room, they would go up to that guy and say, "Take your own notes." Mm-hmm. So it's equally important to have those allies on in your corner so they understand what we have to deal with on a day to day basis. Yeah. The other thing you mentioned about the degrees is so true. And I just feel like degrees should just be like signals, right? Like they signal that someone is technically competent, they're able to do the work, but by no means should a degree be such a huge gatekeeper the way that you were describing, right? If anything, it's just oh, yeah. it's just a signal as this person can do the job, but yeah. you're still going to have to learn on the job. And I wish more people gave more people opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, aerospace engineering degree is not more difficult than a mechanical or a chemical or a material. Each subject is difficult in its own sense. It's just something different that you're studying because it interests you at the time. And so what I love to to talk about this, especially on social media, and eventually if I become a manager one day, I'm going to be the change for the future. Because as you said, a degree is just an open door saying that you are smart enough to finish an engineering degree. So how are you not smart enough to do a different role. Mm -hmm. So that just doesn't make sense to me. So a lot of the stuff is you should give people a chance because a degree doesn't really tell the whole story. At the time, I was really interested in chemistry, but I'm not going to be interested in chemistry for the rest of Mm -hmm. my life. Everybody's career or at one point they pivot. And so like right now, I'm an integration engineer for NASA. Like I never thought that I was going to be an integration engineer when I was in college. And there's nothing that I could study that could prepare me to keep course correcting throughout your career because your interests change. And so being able to, like you said, if you gatekeep someone just because they don't have the correct degree, it's just you're losing that opportunity for someone who is A, trying to prove themselves that they can know the stuff and be a very dedicated worker. So I think that people need to be a little bit more open-minded when it comes to the degrees that people have. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So tell us how you got from Navair to now being at NASA. That seems like a pretty big pivot or was it not? Yeah. yeah. So when I moved to Orlando, like space was always in the back of my mind. As I mentioned, I I would go there for field trips. So I love NASA. I love space in general and the concept of just exploring other planets. I was chosen for a NASA social in 2019. And what NASA does, what these are is every single time they have a big launch, they'll send out applications for like social media people to apply. They choose X amount of people and you're invited to Kennedy Space Center or wherever the launch is going to be. And you're able to be there for two to three days. And you start talking to engineers who actually work on the project. You get to tour the facilities. You get to tour like so many rooms. And then at the end of the day, you get to see the launch. So that's like the whole spectrum of what a NASA social is. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I haven't seen a a rocket launch in 10 years because the shuttle program ended like 2011. And I was in Maryland by then. So I didn't even get to see that. But this one was the demo to launch, like the one prior to the astronauts going to the International Space Station for the first time on a Crew Dragon. So this is like the test. And I remember this launch was at like 2.30 in the morning. So I was already like super tired, but just being able to watch it in person again, just sparked that like interest in me. Just like after that day, I was like, okay, I'm going to do everything possible to move to the space sector. And I was just like, I talked at the time, I talked to so many engineers, I made so many cool connections, but it's it's not an easy transition. I, I will say that the aerospace or you know, the, the aviation industry is really good in um, preparing you for a career in space, but to get an actual job at NASA, it's harder than I thought. 
because NASA is a lot of federal employees, but even more contractors. And so at the time when I worked for Navair, I was looking for an actual federal position and not a lot of them are open. So whenever they're open to the public, like thousands of people apply to this, like one or two positions that are open. And I didn't know that at the time. So it took me 13 times before NASA even gave me an interview. And so I started applying other places. So when I got a job actually at Blue Origin is how I started it. And Blue Origin was fantastic because that's like the new rival to SpaceX. I don't want to say rival. They're like the other company other than SpaceX. And just being able to work on a brand new rocket, the new Glenn, it was just super exciting. So I worked there for about like 10 months-ish and I got really good space experience. And that's what allowed me to apply to NASA and other jobs and have that like background of specific like space space experience. Yeah. Cause like when they open NASA jobs, they're like very specific. Like you have to have worked on space hardware. So like coming from aviation, it's really hard to apply to that if you don't actually have that experience. So what I usually tell people is if NASA is their end goal and they just keep getting rejected, start working for these contractors. So like Jacob, SpaceX, Blue Origin, ULA, like you're gaining that experience. If NASA is your end goal, apply to these. They're hiring so many people right now because they're they're new, they're doing a lot of cool stuff. And so that transition from Blue Origin to NASA was a lot easier than Navair to NASA, if that makes sense, just because I had that space background while I was working at Blue Origin. Yeah, sometimes we have to think about what are the little shortcuts that can get us there in the long term, like maybe not immediately getting to NASA, but maybe first for you, it was like, let me just break into the space industry first. Um, And then that transition is a lot easier to make. Correct. So did you have to apply to to NASA? I did. Yeah. So you apply through a website. So it's a federal position. So usajobs.gov is the website. And like I said, there's the the actual federal positions for NASA. There's there's not a lot that are out there. And so whenever I would see one, I would always apply. And like I said, 13 times before I even got an interview and then I eventually got the job. And so what I love telling people is perseverance is key because I could have stopped at like the second or third or fourth times. There was times when I was like, they don't want me. I'm not good enough to be at NASA. And I wanted to not apply for the next job, but I kept on going and I eventually got the interview and then the position. And when I tell people that I applied 13 times, they're like, that's it. That's really low. (laughs) And I chuckle because I'm like, 13 is a lot. And so I've talked to others and they're like, no, I've applied hundreds of times. And so that's why like, I tell people that if NASA is end goal, keep on applying, but at the same time, don't wait for that position, gain that experience somewhere else. Again, working for one of these contractors, a lot of the times you're already working with NASA. So SpaceX obviously is launching astronauts for NASA. They work collectively together. So you're gaining that experience while you're waiting for you know NASA to eventually give you a position or that interview. Yeah, I love that. It's funny because when you were first saying 13, in my mind, I was like, that's a lot. That's a but, lot. That's yeah, what I thought. But yeah. then when you hear about <laughs> other people being like, that's actually not too bad. It, it's just all your right. perspective, right? Right. Absolutely. That's why I was just like, it, it takes me, I took a step back and I was even more grateful for the opportunity that I got at, at 13. I guess lucky 13, right? But yeah, that's what I tell people is just keep on applying. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when you finally got that like offer extension for <laughs> NASA, like how was, what was that day like for you? 
I remember it specifically, like to this day. So it was during the pandemic. It was like when everything started, like March of 2020 is when I got a call saying, hey, like when you're like, I was, I think I was getting groceries. I was getting groceries at Publix and I was walking back to my car and I, someone rang on my phone. I did not know who it was and I almost didn't answer it. I was like, I'm not going to answer this, but I answered it. And it was a NASA person saying, hey, you applied to this position. Here's, if you're still interested, here's the interview date. And I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. So A, I, I almost didn't answer that call. And then the, when I got the interview, after I interviewed, I was like, oh, I didn't get this. I did so bad. The interview was just so bad. And so again, that's me thinking of negative thoughts again. And then two weeks later, I was again at the grocery store and this person called me and they're like, hey, we would like to offer you the position at NASA. I was like, what? <laughs> like, wait, what? Like every single step of the way, I was like, I'm, I'm not going to get it. I did horrible, like all of this stuff. And then I just remember the, the sense of shock on my face. It was like something that I, I accomplished. Like I was going towards this goal and I finally got it. And even along that way, I was doubting myself. That was that imposter syndrome was coming in. Like I did horrible. I'm not going to get it. But yeah, it was just, I just remember I was still, in the, I was at Publix and uh, screaming in my internally. And then when I got <laughs> to my car, I actually did let out a scream and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> that's amazing. Congrats again, because that's such a huge exactly. accomplishment. Were the interviews like really rigorous in terms of of technical skill or was it like like what were those like kind of yeah so so it was a typical government interview it it was all online because everything due to covid it was actually a phone call it wasn't even through like teams or anything so i was in my pajamas while i was doing this interview and it was a mix of technical and problem solving and as well as how you deal with in a group. So like, how do you deal with difficult people? And those typical questions, and then they were kind of specific to the role. So what I did to prepare to for this NASA interview is I learned about the group that I was interviewing with, I learned about the, you know, the missions that they've been doing, the missions that they're going to be doing this year. So that's what I usually tell people when they're preparing for an interview is make sure that you understand who you're interviewing with and what they're doing, what they're going to be doing, what they've done in the past. So have like questions set for you. And yeah, it was just a little mix, a little both. But actually, the harder interview that I've ever had in my life was Blue Origin. <laughs> To be honest, Blue Origin was intense. It was like I talked to a recruiter and then she like asked me about my resume. After that, I got to the manager and these are both phone interviews. Mm -hmm. And then he was like deep digging like deep into my technical background. Mm -hmm. And then the third interview was an in-person interview and it was an all-day interview. So like I had to prepare a presentation, an hour-long presentation talking about myself and it presented in front of eight people. Wow. And so from there, we went to one-on-one -on -one interviews and it was like 30-minute one-on-one interviews with every single person that was in that room. Jeez. And then the very last person was the manager that was looking to hire me. And so he would tour me around the facility. It was amazing. I loved it. And then we went into a room and I remember he was like, he wrote down a question for me. And he's, this is a real life question that our engineers are dealing with right now. And like, did a, like a free body diagram and it was essentially like a really physics intense question. And I was like, I wasn't prepared for that. I was like, oh my gosh, it took me aback a little bit. But what they try to do in whatever interview that you do, if they are doing anything technical, they're trying to understand how you tackle the problem. Not necessarily if you're going to get it right, but how you tackle it. So I was just like, this is what I would do first. And then he kind of came in. And so we kind of tackled the question together. Obviously, there isn't going to be an answer if their engineers are still trying to work on it. But it was just a way to 
see how you would problem solve a question. And I thought that was really interesting and really intense. But no, the NASA one was just all online. There were super nice people. There was like three uh, interviewers on the question. They would ask like specific questions about the job. And I was just really happy that I did that research beforehand because it really helped me answer a lot of those questions, even though I thought that I did bad, Mm -hmm. but I guess I did right. Yeah. So when people think about NASA or like the space industry, what are the different kinds of careers that people could pursue? Like I know we know about aerospace engineering, but what are other careers that people could pursue? Yeah. So this is one of the myths that I try to debunk on my social media is they always think that NASA, you have to be an aerospace engineer and that's it. And I'm here to tell you that I don't have an aerospace engineering degree, yet I'm still working as an aerospace engineer, if that makes sense. NASA hires like everybody from scientists to all kinds of engineers to non-STEM majors. We have public affairs, we have lawyers, we have business office, we have accountants, we have outreach people who do specifically that they are literally the ones who set up events for schools and then they have the swag to give out. Then they get the engineers to talk about their jobs. So there's just so many different jobs that you can get at NASA that isn't just aerospace engineering. And that's what I hope to portray on my social media. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to hear about your social media account. Tell us about how this started. So this started my social media, like anybody else, I started back in like when I was in college, 2014. But at the time, I always thought the social media was for like foodies and like travel bloggers. So I even started trying to take like travel pictures when I traveled. And sometimes I would take like food pictures. And that's what I thought Instagram was. It wasn't until the end of 2019 that I changed my handle. So at first I was lawyer up. If any of you guys are Breaking Bad fans, that was the (laughs) lawyer of Walter White. So I changed it to your female engineer. And it wasn't until like all of 2020, the pandemic was horrible. But at the same time, it allowed me to work from home and then have that like free time instead of commuting to like actually dedicate to social media. And I started posting pictures of when I was in aviation, then when I started Blue Origin and now NASA. And I got a whole bunch of people interested, like people were actually interested in STEM careers. And so I got a whole bunch of questions of, can you do a video of like, how did you get a job at Blue Origin? Like, I'm a woman who's trying to be an engineer. Like you're such an inspiration. And so hearing messages like that really got me going into trying to build this community. And in 2020, I met so many awesome women engineers and women scientists on social media that now we're just like this huge community. Engineering Gals is one of the first ones that I joined. And it's just so amazing of like how many lives that we can change through social media because you can reach so many people all over the world more than you would Mm -hmm. meet me going to classrooms and stuff like that. So it's just we're making a huge impact without even realizing it. Yeah, I love that. I totally agree. The pandemic was awful, but it did free up a lot of time and like opportunity for people to be creative from home, right? So do you think master's degrees are absolute requirements to get into this space? And if so, what kind? Absolutely not. No. So I, I, you can get a master's. I got a master's while I was in Navar because they paid for me to get a master's. So it's a good way that I'd, I don't want to get into debt. And it was a good way to add more to my education. But you definitely do not need a master's or a PhD to work in the space industry. Mm-hmm. A lot of my coworkers, I think in my group, we have about 10 to 12 people and maybe two and I'm included in that me and someone else has a master's mm. degree. So you absolutely do not need to have a master's degree to work in the space industry. Yeah. And do people tend to transition into NASA after working elsewhere for a while? Or have you seen people fresh out of college be able to break into NASA? 
yeah, there's there's a lot of people that break into NASA right out of college. A good way is how I talked about DOD has the Pathways program. NASA also has a Pathways program as well. And so you can become a NASA intern. You can become a NASA Pathways program. So the difference is if you're an intern, um, you're just that. You're just there for the semester. If you're a Pathways program, I believe you have a more guaranteed job when you finish college. So there's a lot of people like a good friend of mine at Astra Sue, who's also on Instagram. She was an intern and now she's a full-time engineer. So there's ways that you can break into it. However, I have heard one of my friends, uh, I think, applied like 120-ish times to be an intern. So it's very competitive. Yeah. So what I would suggest is if anybody really wants to go that route, when you apply, not only do you, you don't have to have that 4.0 to get that in- internship. They want to see a well-rounded individual. You're good in classes, and then you volunteer in the community. You talk about science missions, or you do about talk about space, or you're part of a rocketry club at your at your school. Like they want to see a well-rounded individual, not just that 4.0 student. Cool. Okay. So now that you're finally at NASA, what has been like a highlight for you or what have been those moments where you're like, oh my God, this is so cool that I'm doing this? I mean, every day I pinch myself to be completely honest. But the weird thing is I started NASA during the pandemic. So I've just been working from home. So I've not really met anybody on my team. And so a couple of times that I had that, oh my gosh, moment was last year when Sentinel-6 launched, which was one of the spacecraft that's currently orbiting the planet, and it's gathering the data on the height of our oceans, which will help us combat climate change. I was able to go into mission control because I was helping, I was learning. So I was one of the integration engineers. So I was in there in mission control, hearing everything on the comms. And I was like, wow, like this is so darn cool. And one of my missions, DART, which launches in November, the double asteroid redirection test, which that one's a super cool mission. I will be the engineer that they'll say, they'll pull me and I'll say either go or no go for launch. So I'm like super excited for that. The other like amazing moment was a few weeks ago, I got to go to John Hopkins Applied Physics Lab and physically work on the space hardware. So like I mentioned, DART that launches in November. I was able to see the spacecraft. I was there like testing so many things for like environmental testing, shock testing. And it was just so neat to be actually seeing a spacecraft, Mm -hmm. like something that's going into space and specifically this one, because um, this mission is uh, the first planetary defense mission for the Earth. And so what its intent is to do is it's supposed to go to an asteroid that we've already selected, crash into the asteroid and see if we can redirect its current flight path. And so what that is supposed to be is if you've seen like Armageddon and Deep Impact from like the early 2000s, instead of sending Bruce Willis up to go to an asteroid and destroy it with an explosion, we're going to be sending the spacecraft and seeing if we can crash into it, redirect its path. So if there's an ever asteroid that's coming towards Earth, we're going to see if we can redirect it away from its current trajectory to Earth. That is so cool. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's why I was like, oh my gosh, like I got to work and I was so many pictures of me like right next to the, the spacecraft and just it was in a clean room. So I'm like all doled up in PPE and I was just like, wow, like this thing is going to maybe Mm -hmm. save us if there's ever an asteroid that's headed our way. It's just so cool to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I love hearing about this and it's so cool you get to work on this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cool. So what are any myths that you would like to bust for people who are considering a career in this space or just any pieces of advice that you would give someone who's interested in breaking in? 
So absolutely, the myth of you have to be an aerospace engineer to quote unquote, be a rocket scientist, that is 100% not true. That's kind of going full circle with the whole degree thing, like you have to have a certain degree to work in aviation or in space, you don't, you just need to have that. If you're looking to be an engineer and a scientist, you have to have that STEM background. And that's pretty much it. You just apply to these positions and see if you get an interview. So that's one of the myths that I definitely want to bust. And the other one is just in general, the fact that women in the space industry, women in um, STEM in general, because when I was growing up, when I thought of a rocket scientist, I think I mentioned, I thought of like Apollo 13, they're white, they're male, there are 4.0 students. And so I thought I had to have be a, a, a complete genius to be a rocket scientist and work at NASA. Mm-hmm. And it always deterred me away from applying to an internship and all this stuff because I had a 3.2 when I graduated. It's not a bad GPA, but it's not a, a, a super genius 4.0. Mm-hmm. So that's another myth that I, I love to bust is you don't have to have that 4.0. A lot of the times NASA is looking for a very well-rounded individual because a lot of the times um, when they look at like a 4.0 student, that's what they do is like they're working to be that perfect student. And I'm not trying to deter anybody from trying to be that 4.0 student. That's amazing if you are. However, for me, when I was in college, I was involved in so many clubs. I was involved in the Society of Women Engineers. I was involved in the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. I was doing a lot of volunteering. So maybe I wasn't that 4.0 student, but I was doing so many things on the side that I thought would help me get a better position in life. And so I try to tell that and I try to tell people through my social media is apply even if you don't have that 4.0. I think to be an intern at NASA, you just need a 2.9. I think it's 2.9, not even a Mm 3.0. So I want people to know that that's what kind of deterred me away from applying to be an intern at NASA is because I thought that it was like, I thought of Bill Nye, the science guy, you had to be like white, male, 4.0, but that's 100% not true. Like we need a good diverse workforce. A perfect example is last year we were supposed to do the very first women's spacewalk. And I think at the time, the first time we attempted it, the spacesuits, I think that they only sent were like male suited for men, and it wasn't really suited for women. And so we need more women or other backgrounds in all sectors, not just space, because we need that different perspective to build these spacesuits for women versus men, like stuff like that, that you don't really think about more like outside the box thinking. So definitely apply if you're not that 4.0 student, because they're not just looking for 4.0. Yeah, thanks so much for for sharing that. Because I I mean, I even think about the language that we use every day, like we always say things like, this isn't rocket science. It's not rocket science. Yep. (laughs) And so it just makes you think it's impossible thing that only like an MIT PhD engineer could ever do. Right. And that's why you want to humanize the STEM profession, you want to make sure that When you think of someone at STEM, yes, there's so many people that are geniuses, but also a lot of people like me, we're just down to earth. I I love playing uh, music. I play the piano, the saxophone, and the clarinet. I love watching Netflix. Like I'm not just constantly like reading science books all the time. I'm a normal person and you can too if you want to go in the space industry. Amazing. Great. Thank you so much for being with us, Joan. Where can people find you online? So you can find me on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook as Your Female Engineer and on Twitter as Astro Joni because Your Female Engineer was too long. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. And thank you so much for, you know, doing this podcast, being able to give us a voice. I think it's amazing what you're doing. 
Hey, are you thinking about changing careers? Then you need to head over to my website, ecmpodcast.com, and sign up to get your free 20-page guide that I wrote with you in mind. I wrote this guide to help you change careers and get really clear on what it is that you want to do next. Career clarity is key to a career transition journey. All right, can't wait to hear what you think about it. Have a great week.